Sup, Thrill Seekers. I'm Dev. I'm Connor, and you're listening to Mass Hysteria. Remote edition. <laughs> Welcome or welcome back to Mass Hysteria. This is not going to lie, a little awkward because we've never recorded remotely. No, this is weird. Um, don't really know where to look. I feel like I'm on a first date. Um, you are. I am on a first date. Connor and I are both in dark little layers right now. Uh, yeah, so we we wanted to record last week, didn't we, Connor? We wanted to, but I was just plagued with not feeling so hot. Life got in the way. It Life happens. Life gets in the way. We live an hour apart. We're dedicated to commuting to have a family experience while we record and just wasn't in the cards last week. It was not. But, but we can reassure you that we have pretty awesome stuff coming. Connor and I are pushing ourselves. I'm alienating my uh, marginal amount of friends that I do have by <laughs> staying up late working on our projects. And we should have both done by end of July. Uh, yeah, we're, we're doing pretty well. I hope our um, mystery friend is not listening to this. If you are, you didn't hear anything. Don't hold us to any timelines. But we are working very hard. So, Contrary uh, to what some may believe, mystery <laughs> friends. Mystery friends. <laughs> not calling you out, but not not calling you out. Um, yeah, so if you're wondering why we haven't been uh, just, I think, having as long an episode as a mass hysteria, it's because we're devoting a lot of energy to our new series, which I think everyone will really enjoy, hopefully. Um, but before that happens, like I said, we'll have, we'll, we'll actually, we will definitely have an announcement next week about what's coming up. I think that's fair because by then we should be on the track to have everything finished. So, I mean, I mean, sure, sure. That's fair. If not, this episode <laughs> will like disappear from the ether. Um, so uh, before we jump in, if you're new here, we occasionally do this segment called our mass hysterical and it is not to, um, to diminish any piece of the cold case that we focus on more so going to, to pipe in for one second. If you hate us and hate listening to our voices, oh yeah, you can we always do. skip. We'll put a timestamp. We skip them. Who are we kidding? Um, oh, we, we do leave a, we do leave a time skip stamp of where to skip to, but if you, uh, like us kind of just need a little bit of something lighter to hear, uh, in your week, we add a short mass hysterical, essentially a funny story of something that happened to us this week. And maybe it'll make you chuckle. Um, before we jump into and devote all of our respect to the cold case. So we do have a cold case this week, um, which will make more sense why we're focusing on cold cases when we talk about our announcement next week. But our mass hysterical, without further ado, is brought to you by your favorite Flanagan. And I'm going to call him out because he doesn't listen and I love him and he'll love me no matter what I say. So uh, my middle brother, um, (laughs) we were driving together and he was talking about his hair. He, he he may or may not have been Vlad Smith from the haircut story. Okay. N- neither can confirm nor deny. <laughs> but what I can confirm is that he is very into his hair and rightfully so. He's great hair. But he was talking about how his one um, like uh, downside was that he has, and he said this quote, he was like, yeah, but I just like, I have one of those witch's bums. And I was like, 
Which is bombs. And I was like, you mean widow's peak? He's like, yeah, that, that I have a widow's peak. So now I'm like, anytime someone brings it up, I'm like, it's a widow's bum. It's a widow. (laughs) Which I like, I like took me a second. I was like, which is bum? Is this like some slang that I've not uh, up to date with? But yeah, next time you go in, Connor's boyfriend's a hairdresser. Maybe he could make sure that uh, he gives people haircuts and you can't hear Don't forget the witch's bum. Their witch's bum. Um, I used to have one. Mine is gone though, I think. Receding hairline. I I think I'm free. I think my my witch's bum is flat. She needs to go to the gym. Um, Yeah, she's pretty just straight. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I thought it made me smile. But like Connor said, we all the time stamp. If you do not want to listen to these, um, because our cold case today, you're taking it back to our home state, Massachusetts. Or New Hampshire, depending on who you ask. That's true. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to get into that for the 10th time. Um, today, <laughs> we're going to be in Bedford, Massachusetts. If you grew up in Bedford, so, well, if you grew up in Bedford, that's specific in this, you may know this case, but if you grew up in Massachusetts, specifically in a small Massachusetts town, kind of know the feel of it. So Bedford, Massachusetts fits the same profile of quaint New England towns. There's less than 14,000 people, um, which is pretty small. It has like a downtown, but has that same effortless feeling of community. It's a great place to start a family, good school districts. And the Shublins exemplified the American New England family. There were two children, a cape house, with a swimming pool out back. And in the 1960s, Natalie and Raymond Shublin were cherished members of the community. Natalie was incredibly active in the town. According to a family interview for the Boston Globe, Natalie, this is a quote, direct quote, Natalie had been active in local affairs, having served as president of the Bedford Arts and Crafts Society and as a member of the Bedford Women's Club, the Bedford Garden Club, and the Emerson Hospital Auxiliary. I love that they have a uh, arts and crafts society. I know. I was like, sign me up. Thank you. But also very well-rounded. She's part of a lot of different um, town organizations. That woman was busy. Busy, busy body, busy body. Um, but yeah, I think that one of the things Connor and I are trying to do more um, just because if you cover anything true crime or you do research, it's very easy to uh, fall victim to reading news articles that might not fully portray what actually happened, misrepresent something. So um, I liked using, the article that I used was from the Boston Globe, it'll have it linked, but they directly interviewed members of the family about this case. So um, was really happy to see that, just knowing that the information was accurate according to the family. So um, that quote, like I said, was directly from the article that two of the extended family members uh, shared with the Boston Globe. So uh, that was in the 1960s. By 1971, the two, two children had grown into young adults. They were living out on their own. Um, June 10th, 1971 began like a routine workday. Raymond worked at a bank, so he headed off early to work. Uh, Natalie checked in with him in the afternoon. She usually would call him. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary, but when Raymond entered his home after work, he was surprised not to be greeted immediately by his loving wife. When he heard no sign of her, he began to look around the house. In the basement, he discovered her deceased body, and it was clear that she had been both stabbed and beaten. And I won't go into details about what happened, but it was a very gruesome scene. So Raymond immediately phoned the authorities, and they arrived at his house in under 10 minutes. There was no evidence of a robbery. All her valuables were still there, and nothing really looked to be out of place. Her car was missing from the driveway. 
but shortly after authorities arrived, they located her vehicle in a parking lot close by. For two years, or excuse me, for many years, there were no breaks in the case because who would want to hurt this like selfless, kind mother? I mean, she was loved by the community. She was one of those people. I think everyone probably, if you grew up in a small town like this, you might know one, two, couple of these women that like, you say their name, everyone smiles, you know, oh, Mrs. Jones, like she used to bake for the bake sale. Like that's exactly who Natalie Shublin was. So who would want to hurt her? There was no reason that she would have any enemies. Um, One of her friends told CBS News that she was a real person. She was quiet, but she was one of those real people that you could have a deep conversation with. She was a revered part of the small town community. Um, So, end quote, the bank where Raymond worked offered a reward for any information uh, regarding the murder. And with no further details coming to light, Raymond eventually left the area, which is really sad. He lived in the area even after his wife was gone. Um, I think partially, probably, I'm assuming, to, uh, you know, hope that there was progress in the case. But when it continued to to stay cold, he eventually left the area. Just get some distance. That's Mm -hmm. so hard. Jeez. And his nephews, they were two of the main people that were interviewed by the Globe. It's it's a really long article. Like I said, I'll include it if you wanted to read the whole thing. But they told the Globe that he never remarried either, which is really sad. Um, And and probably also just testament to the fact that he really loved her a lot. And he kind of spent his whole life hoping that he would have answers or find closure to what happened. So the person responsible for taking the life of this beloved woman was most likely out there roaming free. And I can't imagine how re-traumatizing it must be to wake up in that house when your loved one was killed. So it's not really um, surprising that he moved when they didn't come close any closer to answers in the years that slowly began to pass. Um, if you, you know, we say this a lot too, but like yeah. that's another area of Bedford. It's like it's a very nice, you know, well well thought of town. Like that, you know, that's there's it's pretty affluent. There's good schools. Yeah, I was like, going to say a lot of people move there specifically because they want their kids to attend schools in that region of Massachusetts yeah. are really high performing. Yeah. So like for something like that to happen would have been like really a shock to that community and would be hard to like live around there after. Yeah. So he eventually relocated. I, I From the article, it sounds like he stayed in Massachusetts, but he, he wasn't near, near Bedford. So okay. Um, if you have listened to a true crime podcast before, Connor, have you, have you actually done that? Have you heard a true crime podcast? Never actually, never. <laughs> um, but no, but in all seriousness, you're probably familiar with the acronym AFIS, which is Automated Fingerprint Identification System. Well, in 1999, nearly 30 years after Natalie was murdered, there was a break in her case. Arthur L. Massey, he was a resident of Salem, which is relatively close to Bedford. It's not next oh, door. Connor can, yeah, I was like, Connor can speak hour. more to this, but it's it's not, I think, when people think of Massachusetts and they are out of state, they think it's very small and it's not. It's like you can go three hours to go out. Like if I wanted to go, I live in the Boston area. If I wanted to go out to Western Mass, I could be driving for like three hours. Right. But it is, they're both on the Northeast side of Massachusetts. But like Connor said, about half an hour apart. So Arthur L. Massey, he lived in Salem, and he was connected to her case through a hit on APHIS. Uh, He was well-known in the criminal world. He had accumulated a lengthy record over the years beginning in the 1960s. So this was 1999, so that's like 30, 40 years later. His convictions included different types of robberies and financial crimes, according to The Globe. 
1999, the police recovered uh, a fingerprint, a left fingerprint from Natalie's car that they were able to test in the system. And that's when they made the connection to Massey. So in 2000, this is where the story starts to get a little bit strange, or stranger, I should say. In 2000, the police bring him in for an interview. Uh, when they questioned him about his involvement, Massey vehemently denied killing her, knowing her, or even being in the Bedford area, which is bizarre to me because uh, obviously he his fingerprint was found on her car. It wasn't it, it wasn't a taxi. It wasn't a leased car. It was her car. So to so to say that you don't even know her is just right. very easy to disprove. But he was vehemently saying, "I never knew her. I have never met her in my life." Um, and he even told the investigators that it was actually impossible for him to have committed this heinous crime because he was in jail at the time. And why people lie? And how is your fingerprint here, sir? <laughs> well, why, well, not only that, but so why that's, that's people the record. lie that would be exactly <laughs> about things that are readily verifiable? Very baffling to me. But the prosecutors in the case were quickly able to refute this claim and instead revealing that he had actually been a fugitive at the time. So. Not only was he not in jail, but he was actively on the run. Um, later in 2005, he was interviewed again by the police. Uh, this time, his story was completely different. He said that he had been contacted by a criminal organization that claimed that Ray had put out a hit on his wife. And he claimed that he denied the offer, but it had been a lot for a large sum of money. And instead, his cousin had accepted the bribe and carried out the hit and this is not only like ridiculous and there's no evidence to corroborate this outlandish claim, but it also, I'm sure, did irreversible emotional damage to a family that was already grieving the loss of their loved one. And the nephews who were interviewed by The Globe further emphasized how disrespectful and false the allegations were. Ray was known to be like the kindest man. He was an active part of the small town as well. He cherished his wife. He never would have put her in harm's way. I mean, she would call him in the middle of the day to like check in on him. And he was That's adorable. Like, he would come home from work, excited to see her. Like, I, and I, I know everything is not always how it appears, but you know, why would he, Right. It, there's no reason that this would happen. No. And there's no, and evidence. also like, again, like, I mean, I'm not giving criminals any ideas, but like, you should probably at least try to figure out a way, like put yourself near the car. Like when you're coming up with your stories because your fingerprints on it. So his fingerprints on it, but but he's he decided to, I don't know. It's just it's one thing for him to be interviewed and not offer up information, but then to create a lie that's like disrespectful and just further traumatizes the family is just very heartbreaking. Um, but with no confession from Massey or any additional evidence, he was not arrested for his involvement in the murder. Um, and he spent the next decade. Uh, to two decades of his life in the Salem area. Um, and he would rent hotel, uh, excuse me, he would rent rooms in hotels or community buildings. Um, one neighbor described that he would actually loiter around and try to sell pills. Um, he didn't really, they said try to sell pills because he didn't really sell any pills, but he was trying to sell them. And he was a big man, like in the sense that he was really muscular. He had tattoos covering both his arms, which is not like to profile him, but he was distinct looking like people remembered him, you know, they're like, right, yeah, this, right. this large man was like roaming around trying to sell me uh, prescription medication. Um, and the globe mentioned that he actually told a neighbor that he could easily hold her neck until she passed out. Okay. That's like, 
There was no useful in- tidbit of information. No Thank instigation you. for um, the remark. He just made it to her and it alarmed her. And to hear something violent and unprovoked, um, obviously she not only remembered it, but the police were like, okay, well, this is further adding to the um, mounting circumstantial evidence we have uh, for Massey. Um, and in 2016, he actually went on trial for violating a restraining order an ex-girlfriend had against him. He repeatedly contacted her over the phone. It was a blatant you know, violation of the order. And he pleaded guilty and served less than three months in jail. He was put on probation, um, but he was released early. And his ex-girlfriend made the restraining order permanent. So all this to say, this man does not have a great track record. He's changing his stories like it's only a matter of time, you know, until they are able to He's catch him. clearly violent. Clearly violent. They just need, they, they're missing like one like slightly more solid piece of evidence that they can actually, you know, convict him on. So, oh, in walks that piece of evidence. Detectives were able to find a woman in 2016 who admitted that she had helped Massey in a lot of his schemes. They were um, kind of finan- uh, schemes to get money, like financial schemes. So the two of them would defraud banks together. Um, and if you remember back from the beginning, Raymond was a banker. He was actually president of a bank. So uh, it I mean, this wasn't explicitly written anywhere, but I'm assuming that might have been part of the reason why his wife was targeted. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So he admitted to his partner, the the woman was not identified. I'm not sure uh, what happened to her after she went to the authorities, but he admitted to the woman that he had actually killed a woman before. He told her that. Um, And he said that he always carried a knife. The, The murder weapon was a knife and it was found at the scene. And so he was arrested in his Salem home in March of this year, like Wait, 2022, 2022. That's insane. 1971 to H- March how 20, old is 22. He? Um, he is 76, wow. 76. So he would have been in his like twenties at the time. Right. I, I can't do math this time of yeah, I this hour, so. but he, this was over 50 years ago. He was just now convicted or uh, just now charged, excuse insane. me, not convicted yet. He pleaded not guilty and he was held without bail. So like I said, he is 76 now, um, adding to how disturbing this is. He's also the father to multiple children. Um, and hopefully he will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Um, his trial is set to happen this year. And I think this is a really good example of not losing sight of the importance of justice. Um, I wish that Ray Shublin was around to see this, but he sadly passed away, um, I believe, at early 2000s. Uh, so he hasn't gotten to see the, that Massey uh, is, has formally been charged now. But I think Connor and I have spent the last, honestly, it's probably been a year now, working on this project that has to do with a lot of cold cases. And it's very easy sometimes, I think, to just be like, well, it's been 20 years, like it won't be solved. Things do get solved. And this is a really good example of the importance of not losing sight that Absolutely. the fact that, you know, we are making advancements in technology. Uh, you know, if they hadn't saved that fingerprint, we wouldn't, they wouldn't have been able to run it through the database. And like, also, it's a really good example of the fact that all they needed at the end of the day, was that one, what, like that woman to come forward. So, you if know, you ever know anything about any kind of, crime you know, something, anything, say something, like, just say something. But I, I also think it is, you know, a good example of the fact that you hear a lot in, in people talking about cases where they're, mm-hmm. tra- they're cold cases where they're like, someone knows something like this is yeah. an example of that. And yeah, that absolutely ultimately was what led to him for, to them to build a case to charge him. So 
we will continue to be following the um, the trial as it starts to happen. Like I said, he was charged formally in March. So uh, wild to see, but like obviously very exciting to see that he's finally been um, yeah, absolutely charged with what he, the horrible heinous crime that he did. And he, he uh, traumatized a really sweet family. And so I hope that he's prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Um, but it also holds like a lot of similarities, like spoiler alert to like the other stuff we're working on. Like just the, this whole case is very similar. So that's very interesting to see. Yeah. So, um, I will share all the story or excuse me, all the sources. Like I said, Carter and I have just, we were very fortunate to be connected with a listener who reminded us of the importance of working and talking with families if you're covering cases. So we, um, found, this and thank you. We are very grateful for that. So we found articles where the family directly talks to the media about the story. So this is a really good example of that. And the nephews who are extended family, but grew up in the area um, with, with the family, you know, kind of talk about who they were as people, which is also, you know, important when you're talking about a case like this, like who are they outside of what happened to them? So definitely check out those articles, but we hope you Enjoy the first remote mass hysteria. Do you know if the children are still in the area? Uh, I couldn't find anything where they directly yeah. commented on it. Um, the nephews did say that, you know, it's been really hard for them. I'm Obviously, sure, yeah. it's hard. That probably goes without saying, but that, you know, they are holding out hope mm-hmm. that it, it gets solved. So then to see. So hopefully, at least for them, they're seeing exactly. this. Hopefully they can follow along, but, um, yeah. but yeah, it, it, the children were thankfully like not living in the house when this happened. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, I've been like checking it each day. I mean, obviously it's not gonna happen probably overnight, <laughs> but he is going to start to go on trial soon. So 76, imagine if he like That's gets, insane. gets convicted and spends the rest of his life behind bars and he just, the fact that he made up a story, I, I don't know. The whole thing is just like, it was very frustrating to read. So then to get to the end and, and see, you know, he was finally charged was um, kind of a relief. And, you know, even though I don't directly know the family, I was like, yes, he, they're getting, yeah. they're starting to get <laughs> justice for this. So absolutely, um, we hope you enjoyed this remote mass hysteria. Follow along with the sources and we will talk to you next week when we are back to our regularly scheduled in home, person. home hysteria <laughs> landlord hysteria is really what it is actually exactly our landlord winning okay until next time bye guys bye guys <laughs> <laughs>